Today we're continuing in a new series as we head into the school year that we introduced last Sunday about growing closer to God, growing closer to God. And the key today, it's in the sermon title, is draw near to God. Proactively, by the grace of God, draw near to God. Now, last Sunday when we began this series and we looked to Genesis chapter 3 and the question that God asked the man in the garden following the fall, where are you? And as we saw, that could be translated, where were you? Where were you when the serpent came in to the middle of the garden? The serpent's not supposed to be there. Uh, where are you? Where were you? And I encourage you, if you have not heard that sermon, to go back and listen to that because it pairs into uh, the introduction of this series. But, but last week for the introduction, I talked about and encouraged myself and encouraged you to be doing spiritual checkups. The, the scripture calls us to this. And not simply in one particular sermon series, but, but every day we live. And, and certainly I want to encourage you uh, to, to be in this type of rhythm. By Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, as you close out the week that God has given you, each week, reflect upon questions like, am I close to you, Lord? Have I grown closer to you, O oh, oh Lord, this week? I mean, the truth is, if you're so distracted with other activities, with binge watching your favorite shows, and as we head into the college football season with college football games, uh, you could say, well, Pastor Martin, I've got too much important stuff that's filling my brain on Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. I don't have a minute for God. And I would say, well, it doesn't sound like you're really growing closer to God right now. Carve out some time to reflect Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening about the week and the way it's gone. Consider mental locations you've been, physical locations you've been, with whom you've been. And, and it, were those situations helpful for your spiritual growth? Or did they distract from your spiritual growth? And you may want to make some assessments as we then move to the Lord's Day. And that's the next part of this. As we begin Sunday morning and worshiping in the good news of the risen Lord Jesus, I encourage myself and encourage you to begin the week thinking about what is my game plan? What paths am I going to mark for the Lord this week? And what did I learn from last week, basically? What did I learn about relationships, about allocation of my time, allocation of my children's time, of the way we did our household and didn't do our household? You know, how did our family devotions go this past week? Well, we didn't really have that many. Okay, well, we may want to introduce how we're going to, you know, introduce those this week. So, in, again, the introductory notes to the sermon here, I've got the same type of questions I introduced last week as well. Be reflecting on these that we might be growing disciples who grow closer to God. Now, today we're gonna to be turning to a segment of a larger passage of scripture that we find in James chapter four, verses one through 10. And it's in, in fact, in the midst of a larger discussion that James is having about people and their faithfulness. James is primarily writing, you know, the beloved brother of Jesus, writing to Jewish background believers, okay? And they're facing external threats, persecution and being shunned by fellow Jews. But, but they're also facing a lot of internal issues. There's dissension within the church. 
there's people thinking they're better than other people. You know, some of the same kind of things that the Apostle Paul addresses. There's people bad-mouthing other people. There's folks who uh, show favoritism, which James says is an abomination to the Lord, where people who are important or wealthy are being admired, and people who are seemingly, by the world's standards, not important and not well-off are being demeaned in the church family. And then in the midst of all this, James is talking about, look, it, it, you know, if, if it's going in one ear and out the other, you're not actually being a disciple. Uh, James says you need to be not only hearers of the word, but doers. In other words, you actually, we actually need to follow up during the week, like what we're talking about, about actually being Christians and following Christ in what we do. Faith without words works, James says, is dead, because if you're actually saved, there will be fruit uh, from this faith. So in the midst of this, James, uh, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, talks about a better way to live. And this is a way of living faithfully to God. The bottom line here is, in this whole segment, James is saying, don't try to love the world and love God at the same time. Just like Jesus teaches, just like the rest of the Bible teaches, the book of James is saying, you cannot pull this off. You can't, you can't be that schizophrenic. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. You have to decide who the lover of your soul is, whom you are concerned about, whom you fear, whom you love, whom you want to please. And James says, look, let me make this really simple for you. Stop trying to fit in with the world. You're Christians, you're followers of Jesus. Jesus did not fit in with the world. That's why the world, you know, opposed him. Right? You, you know, God loves the world. God sent Jesus to the world for salvation for everyone who will believe. But you cannot continue the gospel by doing some new nuanced version of who Jesus is to the world. It does not work. To be faithful to him, you cannot be friends with the world and fit in with everybody and everything that's going on in the world and be close to Jesus. It's just impossible. So James says, let me make this really simple for you. Don't try to love the world and love God at the same time. But instead, with an undivided heart and mind, grow in Christ. Now that's in your sermon notes, you can mark that off and reflect on that, as well as the, the inventory that I'm inviting us to do week by week. Getting a little more specific, in James chapter four, verses seven through 10, we have what I would refer to as the 10 commandments of James. The reason I say Ten Commandments is there's a rapid-fire chain of ten, count them, I don't think that's by accident, ten imperatives, ten commands. Uh, and, and here they are. Number one, submit. The, the framing commands are number one, submit, and number ten, humble yourselves. And that's really where James is going with this. You're going to have to submit and humble yourself before the Lord, okay? That, that's number one and ten. Number two, resist. Number three, draw near. That's the third command, the third imperative. We're going to focus today on those first three. Number four and number five, wash and purify. This is talking about uh, moving away from uncleanness and moving away from sin. Two different issues about being close to God. The Old Testament, you know, bears this out. Concerns in uh, coming before the Lord either with sin or uncleanness. Uncleanness representing death and dying. 
uh, grieve, number six. Number seven, mourn. Grieve over your sin. Blessed are those who grieve, for they will be comforted, Jesus says. Number eight, weep. Number nine, pivot here, be changed. And then number 10, humble yourselves. Well, you can go back and reflect on all these uh, today as you read back through this scripture. I have what may be good news for you. I'm just going to focus on three today, the first three of the Ten Commandments. And as we do so, let's turn to God's word in James chapter 4. I've set up the larger context for you. We're going to turn to verses 4 through just the beginning of verse 8. Hear now God's word. You adulterous people. Now, this is a jarring moment in this whole larger passage that I just explained to you. Okay, in the Greek here, by the way, the, the term is actually, it's, it's a feminine, you adulteresses. Okay, and, and James has already called these people brothers and in some cases, dear brothers. So this is a different kind of address. If I came out here today and said, you adulteresses, uh, that would probably get all of our attention, right? So that's what James is saying here. And what he's harkening back to is the Old Testament where God is the husband of his chosen people of Israel. But when they are unfaithful to him and chase after other gods, they're referred to as being adulteresses. Right? So it's spiritual, uh, spiritual immorality, you know, it's turning away. Okay? So he says here, you adulteresses, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, being an enemy of, enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? In other words, if the Lord saves you and puts his spirit in you, he wants that spirit to be taken care of, to be in accord with him, right? But he gives more grace. And literally here, it's he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says... Quoting Proverbs from Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So to open up here, and this is also in your notes, God gives greater grace. And as I said in the notes, greater grace, greater power. Now remember grace, grace includes mercy and forgiveness, but mercy and forgiveness are only part of the story of God's grace. Everything good and wonderful, your salvation is a grace from God. Jesus is a grace from God. We're saved by grace, amen? But we're also saved by Jesus. So you could ask me, well, which is it? And I will say it's talking about the same thing. In other words, 
Jesus is the ultimate gift of God's grace to us and the power of his Holy Spirit bringing us to new life. So the Son and the Spirit are part of God's grace as God lavishes himself on us for our salvation and that we might be his and glorify him and grow in what we're made to be. So God gives greater grace. The ESV translates this, but he gives more grace. But I wanna just emphasize this to you because this really hit me in looking at this passage. James, we typically don't think about being a big hearken of grace. But what he's saying here is totally about grace. Just as much as in the gospels, just as much as in Paul's writings. And, and he says this, he says, he, in other words, God gives greater grace, greater. The, the, the Hebrew here, it's a comparative adjective, mezona, okay? It comes from a, a Greek word that you do know, mega, but here it's in the uh, comparative adjective format, okay? Mezona, uh, he gives greater grace. Greater than what? Well, number one, immediately, it's greater than his jealousy for bringing us to himself because he gives greater grace to over, you know, it, it's even greater than his judgment on us, right? His grace is, okay? It's definitely greater than Satan in the world, we're definitely being told that, okay? And um, it, it's greater, even if he saves us by grace, but then he fills us with more power to grow in what in Christian terms is called sanctification, to, to be in a real living relationship and a fruitful relationship with God. So he's talking about all these kind of things. And, and to highlight this word, I went ahead and looked to a couple of other scriptures for you. There are many more, but I'm just gonna give you two. In 1 John, the letter of 1 John, John is talking to early Christians about the Antichrist, okay? And, and in the midst of this conversation, he says, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. This is people who are working within the church, not for Jesus, not for the Christ, but for the Antichrist, actually in the church, okay? So, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater, same term only in the masculine, okay, adjective format here, maison, okay? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, talking about Antichrist and ultimately talking about uh, Satan, whom the Antichrist serves, okay? Another example, really positive example, Jesus on the night when he prepares to die on the cross for you and me, okay, says to his disciples, this is from John 15, Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Greater, did you hear that? Okay, saying, just like in the James 4 passage, Mezona, okay? Greater. I mean, his grace, his grace is the most powerful thing in the universe. Do you hear what I'm saying? His grace can overcome all things to trust in him, believe in him, and live out that faith, okay? Greater grace. So he gives greater grace because as I put in the notes, because this really struck me, I have it for you, you can remember this now. God's grace, grace empowers me to obey grace's commands. And remember the commands of God are not negative things, they're, they're positive, they're, they're a gift from him, they're grace. So God's grace empowers me to obey grace's commands that I might receive grace's promises. Isn't that awesome? It's just like 
the ultimate circle of God providing all things. Reformed folks, you should really like this a lot, right? God's grace empowers me to obey grace's commands and to receive the promises of grace. And we're gonna see this now in action. So I will act faithfully in the greater grace, in the power, the greater power that God gives me. How? Three points here, right out of the scripture. Number one, first key verb. I submit myself, and we need to together submit ourselves to God. I submit myself to God. Now, what does this mean? Now, notice this is a different verb than obey. And you really have to get this sequencing here. God doesn't say, well, I saved you in Jesus. Now work really hard over here and obey. And then I'm going to start pouring out grace on you. No, no, no. The first command is to yield to God. Okay, I cannot obey God unless I'm yielded to him as a vessel of his grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is not something you work. This is not a self-help operation here. <laughs> Don't go to obey first. Obey is going to flow from this, but yield your will humbly to God. This is the big theme of James 4. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord and he will raise you up. Okay, So yield yourself, submit myself and my will to his will. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm probably the stupidest. Lord, just use me, please. I'm, I'm totally humbling myself before you. Um, and the promise here is, is what precedes it. It's the introduction, right? He gives grace to the humble. Okay, that's the promise. He gives grace to the humble, to those who yield themselves to him. He's going to pour out grace on you. Yield to him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34 quoted back in James 4.6 that leads into this first command, submit myself to God. Number two, resist the devil. Resist the devil. And the grace promise that goes with this is he, the devil, will flee from you. That's pretty basic, isn't it? That's right in the middle of these three now. So here's the thing. I cannot resist the devil unless I'm yielded to God. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? I, I can't pull off this, well, I'm gonna kind of negotiate over here with the devil and try to keep God kind of happy. It doesn't work like that. You've got to submit yourself to God. And then as part of this submission to God, you resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. Now, now let me just pull out and say this. In the first century and most definitely in the 21st century, the devil, is not some creature running around with a big red tail and horns and a pitchfork and going, Ugh. that is not the devil. The devil is cool, subtle, and sophisticated, okay? The devil is cool. The devil is connected with the most powerful, the most popular, and the wealthiest people of the world. You have to understand this. How is Jesus tempted? Does the devil show up as some like ogre and that's how Jesus is tempted in the wilderness? No, the devil is cool. He's slick. He can even quote scripture. You know, he's like, hey, I got people in the church. I know scripture pretty well. <laughs> let, me, let me twist the scripture for you a little bit. If that's the game you wanna play, Jesus. The devil is smart, cool. He's the clever guy, okay? And he's connected. 
And so when we think about, well, you know, times have changed and I need to fit in with the world. And, you know, after all, my kids want to go to the big park and watch the movies that are a little edgy. But man, the devil is running the entertainment. You know, most of the entertainment industry, the devil is running. Most of the big, okay, let's just spend thousands of dollars and get our kids hooked on this stuff. And then they'll kind of tweak the movies a little bit this way and teach them new things. And man, the devil is cool. The devil is smart. And it's very tempting to us in the 21st century, just like it was in the first century, to go with the cool and the smart and, hey, things have changed, let's stick with it. And our kids like it anyway, so why not? Second Corinthians 11, 14, beginning of 15. Um, no wonder, Paul is talking about people who serve Satan in the church, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself, what? As the ogre with the red tail? No. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I'm just here to address injustice. Disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also, these are human beings now who are like the seed of the servant, right? It's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We're just trying to make a better society, come on. That's Satan in the 21st century. But, but then we get the greater grace. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Deliver us from the evil one. Okay, the, in the Greek, and you'll see this in all the footnotes, including the ESV, the two ponoru, okay. This is, should be translated, is actually really better translated, deliver us from the evil one. And the answer to that prayer, God will answer that prayer. You submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And as I know some of y'all are studying right now in one of our Sunday school classes, Crusader class, Ephesians, Ephesians 6, right? Put on the whole armor of God. What's the lead into that? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In Romans 13, Paul just says, put on Jesus. Well, which one is it? It's both, right? You can simplify it, just put on Jesus. Or as Dean was talking about to the children from Colossians, you know, meekness, graciousness. Okay, it's the same thing in the armor of God, right? That you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. And then we have all the armor of God all the way through the, um, you know, the sword of the spirit, right? Shield of faith, sword of the spirit, getting more offensive here. I mean, offensive weapons, offensive weapons. And then praying at all times in the spirit. This is like the thing that wraps it all together. Praying at all times in the spirit. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, I have a clip for you. Hopefully our younger folks and older folks will enjoy this. Uh, we have a clip from, this is one of my favorite movies. It's an old movie. It's a French movie called Lures, which means the bear. And uh, I'm going to set up this scene for you because I didn't want to show you three or more minutes. And if you're listening to the audio, just to explain, this is a scene in which um, this bear, who's basically an orphan little toddler bear, whose mama has been killed by hunters, and then, and then this big Kodiak bear runs off the hunters and like scares off the hunters. And there's all this big, they're trying to kill the bear. Um, the little bear is separated from everybody, including the big daddy. I mean, he's not actually literally his daddy, but he's like his adoptive daddy, okay? 
And now the cougar is looking for the bear. A couple, you get a couple minutes of this cougar chasing the bear and the bear squealing and it, it's really pitiful. Mamas, you'll, it really gets your heart on this. But we're gonna go to, hopefully we can show this. Can we show it? Here we are. Now the bear's ended up in this river and it's looking bad, it's a little bear. So the little bear resisted, stood, but who was really the story? Who was really overriding the whole story? The father, the big bear. And when God asked us to resist, you think Martin can take on the devil? What do you think? No way. But I'm kind of like that little bitty bear. And when I stand in the Lord, the devil sees my father. The devil sees your father. And he will flee. So that's resist the devil and the greater grace that God pours out. And then finally, draw near to God. And here's the grace promise. God will draw near to me. In um, Malachi, God says, return to me or turn to me, shuv and I will return to you. Now we talked about this on Wednesday night with theology. You know, the truth is God's already near us. God's not making some kind of emotional choice here. I mean, God is God, God loves, but, but we're called to an intimacy with him and there's this incredible promise here that God will make us clean. You know, when you look at Leviticus 21, there are all these prohibitions about which even Levites and priests can come close to the holy place. The people who have maladies can't come. The people who have a limp can't come. You know, because it deals with uncleanness. It's a signal of death and God is the living God. To be in the presence of God, we must be living in wholeness. But you know what happens when Jesus comes? When you got like unclean lepers, does Jesus run away from them? No, Jesus touches them and they become, do you hear this? Clean. Jesus heals the lame. And even the ones that he doesn't actually personally physically heal, every lame person, every person with a malady through the grace and the blood of Christ is made whole and clean before the Lord. And so, you know, it's just incredible. You get to the New Testament 
And in Hebrews 10, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, we're not Levites. But we, we got all kinds of problems, but we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh, his own flesh is torn, that we might come into God. Since we have a great priest of the house of God, let us draw near, draw near. Perserca, my verb here, but it's the same kind of thing. Draw near, come, come close to God with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Psalm 24 asks, who shall ascend the Lord's hill and stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, made clean by Christ and forgiven and made new in Christ. That is the invitation this week. And definitely students, as you go back to school, stay close to the Lord. Draw near to him. Trust in him. And when you stand against wrong, know that the bear, I mean the father, the lion of Judah, is in you and for you. He has your back. Go with him, not the world. Draw near to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.